Hey, this is Daniel Brennan, and this is the Vintage Stories Podcast. This podcast is also in conjunction with the Pinot Noir New Zealand 2022 Conference. And this is part four of the Wider Appa. Okay, we're back. Uh, sorry about that little extra, I don't know, a few days in there, maybe even a week of delay getting this one out. Busy time of year here. It seems like everything just got squashed into the spring. So we had billions of events and everything. And above all, I try to deliver quality to you guys. So um, I wanted to get this out, not rush it. Uh, because this week, this week's episode is a lot different than the last few where I've just sort of sat down and talked to one person uh, for an extended time. I'm going to hop around to three different people that said uh, my interview with Julian Grounds is the bulk of this podcast. Julian's the uh, chief winemaker at Craggy Range. So um, not only because Craggy Range is an important player in Martinborough, but Julian uh, is an interesting guy. In fact, I did have to chop up his interview a little bit and get it down. It's probably closer to like 30, 40 minutes uh, than the full hour that we did because in the middle of it, we we speak about you know, Hawks Bay more and other varietals and everything. And I really did just want to keep this focused on um, Pinot Noir, which uh, we definitely got into. We, you know, we kind of start talking off, talking uh, about Pinot and Syrah a little bit and Chardonnay. Uh, and we, you know, we delve into Burgundy, uh, a lot of talk uh, about New Zealand Burgundy and, you know, versus other regions like Oregon and, and Australia as far as Pinot Noir goes. Uh, but we also dive into, you know, the history, expectations of Craggy Range. Uh, we even get into some clonal things about this sort of Marcel collection or Marcel selection, um, clonal selection that they do in Burgundy, uh, which is something you can Google and look up for yourself. But it's basically how they, you know, mix these different clones on different vineyards. Um, yeah, we just get into a lot of different things, and it's it's kind of interesting uh, where we get into uh, about Tamuna Road a bit more, which is which is really cool to talk to. Julian's a super interesting guy, uh, as we mentioned during this interview, uh, outspoken, and I think uh, that's refreshing for me. Uh, so let's uh, we we sort of cut off a little bit of his history and everything, and like I may have mentioned this, I might release this podcast uh, in its full form at some other stage uh, and you can hear more about Julian's story and more about Giblet Gravels and all these different things we discuss uh, but in short Julian's from uh, Western Australia not far from Perth kind of out there in the middle of nowhere uh, but certainly has some farming in his in his lineage and um, and certainly came up through the fine wine ranks of the world uh both in France, Australia, or, or also in France, Australia, and Oregon. And we get into that a little bit, uh, but let's, we've got a lot to talk to, including um, Guy McMaster from Palliser and Huia from uh, Atarangi after that. So, or maybe Huia is first, I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, let's get into it with Julian first. Ah, I tricked you, didn't I? First, we're going to talk about Wine Searcher. Got to talk about them. They're sponsoring this podcast. We are very grateful 
for them for doing that and uh, sponsoring the whole, uh, they're sort of the key sponsor for the Pinot Noir 2022 conference here in New Zealand uh, as the world changes, as things happen, as hopefully people get over this, uh, these crazy things happening in the world and we can get some people down to New Zealand in 2022. Uh, Wine Searcher. Did you guys know that everybody I speak to on Wine Searcher through this entire series, you'll be able to look up their winery, find out all the different wines they produce, where they're located, uh, how much they cost, um, some of the historical vintages, all the ratings. That's just one of the features of the Wine Searcher app. Or you can just go to winesearcher.com and uh, and do that just on your laptop or your um know your home computer is that what we still call it a home computer <laughs> um and check them out there so go to winesearcher.com download the app check out all the features i say this every week because i've done the mistake myself make sure you change the currency that's another cool thing you can do um and check out wine searcher download the app now um and I particularly mention that because I think it speaks to the, um, you know, the investment into Pino that Craggy's made. Yeah. And I'm guessing they could be doing, I don't know, are they doing a little bit of a changeover into more Syrah than they have and maybe less Merlot? I know they've pulled out Malbec a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of coming into Craggy at this in really interesting time. Um, so am I right in that yeah, a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think... Um, like, like going back to, um, yeah, my, first of all, like, yeah, my subtlety has always been like a really strong point of mine. Um, yeah, that the old velvet sledgehammer, but I think it's one of these things I've noticed, um, from being culturally like being Australian and coming from that kind of, um, outspoken family, like that country, West Australian vibe, and also then living in Oregon where I think one of the things I was really attracted to my partners, my wife's American one of the things I loved in America is that it's okay to sell the dream. Like, you know, it's, it's actually totally. expected to, to celebrate and, and your successes and, and be honest with your pitfalls. And, and I think humility has its place to an extent. And, and if, it, if it's the shortcoming to progression is humility, then it needs to be thrown out the door. Mm. And I think that's what we get bogged down in too, too often in, in these wine tastings, where if you go into Burgundy, and I, you know, and it's just like, Call a call a spade a spade, you know, and that's the that's that's not out of a being mean spirited. It's actually no. in the point of progression. But um, to then look at Pinot and Syrah, I I came from a, a really heavy single vineyard Pinot and Chardonnay background. So spending time in um, my career is primarily be based in Oregon at Ponzi, and then also in the Yarra Valley at Giant Steps. Um, and so I, we also made a lot of Syrah at Giant Steps and it was kind of a cool climate, whole bunch style. And we did call it Syrah, you know, just to, oh, cool. you know, yeah, like just yeah. to, to kind of, um, ram home that point that it wasn't Shiraz with how, without where our mindset was at. And it, it is the logical progression. And I actually think that they're interchangeable. I don't think that that's a progression. I think it's actually, you can have a, you can have the right wine and, um, I, I've, I've always been obsessed with Burgundy, but I think the most memorable wines in my life have been Syrah. Like, mm. and and I, I talk to that because um, you probably you 
you go in at this price point not expecting something and then you have a well, not expecting to have a life-changing moment or some kind of moment of inspiration and anyone who's had like the, an old gone on from Saint Joseph or um, a Dada and Rebo or um, you know a amazing Jamais they can be ethereal moments that that you have to really sit back and go I've been looking at this variety especially in Australia from a, a purely from a fruit profile and structure base and then when you get these wines it's like no I, I actually need to focus on the beauty and the flow which is exactly what we talk about in Pinot isn't it yeah totally yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. more so than Chardonnay like I think there's there's great people out there to talk about Chardonnay that we've become a bit obsessed with finesse and length and and being pretty pretty but that variety requires phenolic and 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 structure but I think with Pinot and Syrah there is there is that um that deft touch and that um it it opens itself so beautifully to a sense of place but almost also a winemaker's hand and that's what I love like I think there's certain varieties like Cabernet like if you you can't plant you can't you can't make Cabernet yield to your will. Like yeah, a Cabernet will yeah. be what it wants to be. But I think with Syrah and Pinot, there is some people that have the ability to to kind of direct it to the path that you want it to. And that's what makes a great wine producer, not just the place, but the house that makes it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I um, sort of speaking on that is, um, oh, I did a bad move and forgot to turn off my uh, do not disturb. Um but speaking on that is kind of like, you know, to be working at Craggy Range, and I was thinking about this the last couple of days uh, ahead of speaking to you is, um, you know, particularly with regards to Martinborough right now, but also Hawks Bay to an extent is um, maybe there's a few in Otago. I don't know. There's some more historic or there's some successful premium historic producers in Martinborough, Marlborough. I think it's really important that... Um, there's certainly job stability at Craggy Range. They're not going anywhere. I have a feeling my grandkids' grandkids are going to be drinking Craggy Range. Yeah, uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's yep. um, you know so important to any region. Uh, or and and there's probably not enough of that in New Zealand just because we're young. Yeah, you know, and there'll there'll hopefully be more and more of that. And then there's cool things that you know there's other smaller upstarts and mm. you know uh, different kinds of businesses out there. But I imagine there's a, you know, there's that sort of, okay, that's cool. And that's, you know, the, the work is going to be there. And, you know, maybe in the long term, you, you know, projections, you look at COVID as a blip along, you know, totally. where, where World War II was for yeah. a Bordeaux producer or something. Uh, not something to sneeze at, but like, you know, this is, you know, long term, we're, we're thinking much more long term, but there has to be other pressures that come with the job too. Yeah. And, and yeah, so like, you know, we're in a thousand year old trust, so you're right. It will be your grandkids, great, great grandkids, but um, it does give us and it really affects that mindset of like, even now when we're 20 years now, 21 years, and you think how many, even on our property, we've gone through a lot of permeations of getting the right clones. But in the grand scheme of things, that will be a blip in itself as well. So I, I would argue that we're probably entering the first phase of our stability mm. in terms of like we've now starting to get the right plantings. We're expanding, but that's a natural progression of a successful wine company sure. down in Martinborough. But um, I mean, Craggy Range approached me, you know, and that was back in uh, 2018 to, to come over and move my family over. And we had we had no extended family or anyone here. We didn't know anyone in Hawke's Bay outside of um, Aaron. But I think, uh, and Warren, sorry, as well, um, Warren Gibson. But we, 
I suppose you only get these opportunities, you know, in in one time possibly to to be part of a, a place that wants to that has aspiration that fits in line with your own. Mm. And I think that I I'm lucky enough to have come through a fine wine um, career path. That that's all I expect of myself in terms of and setting the pressures for myself to to aim aspirationally rather than just a volume-based um, wine company and there needs to be jobs for everyone, so I'm fully supportive of that. But this business sets ridiculous pressure on the expectation on quality and also um, there's little barriers really um, outside of there's some practical ones, like we don't throw money just out the window, but there's, sure. you know, there's, if you can prove it, the, the family has the, the will there to... And, and I that is a dream of mine. Like I want to... To, I want to know not just to make wine that's revered from a quality path, but it's more about that journey of why. Why is that like it is? And yeah, if if I at best case scenario, maybe I get to do fifty vintages, you know, and that and I'd be pretty old by that point. But it's not much, you know. It's yeah. not much in a, in the grand scope of things. It's gonna be. It, I remember the vintage finished this year, and I was already like fuck you know like there's, yeah. there's so much i should have done i mean it was admittedly it was the the covid vintage but that's that kind of thing is I, i've maybe i've only got four, 30 more times of doing that and that that eats me up on the inside so craggy have that um that chance to to see out so much of that around clone variety density um technique you know winemaking equipment what what it be and that's and they're really supportive of that yeah sure yeah because yeah, their focus is on quality yeah. and well just to sort of side note you know be sure to appreciate it too you know yeah. like you know these uh, i know i i get in the same thing where i'm like oh my god that you know vintage over and you know i think a good winemaker and you know probably shouldn't but internalizes a lot of that and yeah. you you're going over things in your head and you're trying not to make your staff panic and you don't tend to not want to work with people who are in a panic either yeah um but you know, they're on the flip side of that is, you know, we are part of this long thing that is much bigger than us and everything. So to be, I try to be grateful of that as well. And I think most people are, but you can forget it sometimes and be like, uh, but I'm sure, you know, you're under. Until you retire when you're yeah. like 83 and then yeah, you're like, exactly. that was a life well lived. Yeah. And yeah. that's a great point. And I, and I think that, um, it's, it's one of the more, you know, I look at my career compared to like, you know, the, the light that my mum was a, <coughs> had to live and in terms of her work and stuff. And yeah, I, mean, I get to ferment grape juice, you yeah, know, exactly. like it's not a, it's not a life changing um, career. It's something that we're, we're so fortunate to be able to do. And you're right. I mean, during COVID, it's, it's really rammed home for me, but uh, it, it is, um, it is something that I think that, uh, the the family and I, it feels like we're on a bit of a journey, and that's a, probably a bit of a cliche word, but it's my own personal journey and mm. and my family's personal journey, and they, as a wine business, are in their infancy in a, in a very long narrative, and so my time here will be, you know, I, I wonder sometimes will someone go through the record books and go, oh, they had this guy drilling in grounds that was yeah. here, and they can find some wines in the cellar, and like we talk about with Doug as well, you know, Doug yeah. Weiser, and we talk about the time he was here, and uh, I can't help but think that's a really beautiful thing, yeah. you know, and that's that's that con- that concept of legacy is like, does legacy doesn't probably has these connotations of like oh, he left trophies in the cabinet or sales records in, in files books, but it's not. It's more like there was a 
time in in your um, career and that you left there that people talk about um, with vivid memory? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's uh, go there. Uh, Doug Weiser, I mean, he was kind of the the Pinot dude, right, when he came up because he was at Dry River, right? Yeah, and a literary as well and so yeah. like you know i think i mean without having talked to ted i think ted and him were quite close mm. yeah. yeah yeah so he was uh i never met him i i think i missed him by a couple of years when he before he passed uh but i have spoken to even people on this podcast who've mentioned him uh time to time including tegan pasalacqua in california who's at turley and he was really inspired by him at a working with with at craggy you know pretty i think really early on 03 or something yeah. like that and, um, you know, being, you know, f- you know, feeling that, uh, you know, the bug, getting the bug from somebody else like that is really important. And, uh, but obviously from early days, they have had their eye on Pinot Noir as, mm-hmm. as, uh, uh, and I got to tell you, I think it was two years ago now I was in the, the cellar door and, uh, I was speaking with Michael and stuff and just the Pinots were phenomenal. You know, I was really, really pleased and, and, uh, I just hadn't had them in a while, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, it's just great to walk into, uh, you know, a local tasting room and go like, wow, I'm excited about these wines. So yeah. um, let's talk about the Tamuna site. You know, I spoke with Larry a bit uh, and we probably haven't covered Tamuna enough um, on this because, we, you know, I'll do some... I don't know, research and a little, I'll do the kind of boring history parts and yeah. stuff in between these chats. But, um, you know, walking into that, what did you see? I know there's a lot of Sauvignon Blanc out there as well, but as far as Pinot, what, what you know, it, was, it must've been pretty exciting to see this sort of oh. new, new appellation coming to, coming to part. It's a, it's a freaking playground, isn't mm. it? You know, like I, um, I, I went from an environment of trying to find these cool sites in soaking hot summers, the last kind of few years in the Yarra and, you know, you're pushing yourself further and further into the, the unknown. But you get to Tamuna and uh, I, at the risk of being Francophilic, it, it is like a little Burgundian village. You know, mm. you've got this mid-slope um, where you've got... It's not... I wouldn't say there's elements of limestone, but it's not limestone dominated. It's got, you know, uh, gravel with a bit of um, clay <laughs> in there. Um, and then you've got yeah, heavier clays on the top terrace. Um, where we've got Sauvignon Blanc on the bottom terrace but at the, the you know on the bottom of the top terrace there's a bit of heavy clay and then up on the top there's a lot of gravel and then we've got 45 different block sections so i made 45 different pinots last year well wow. <laughs> yeah i know it's it's phenomenal and and the winery supports that from a logistics point of view which is great is that uh, how many ton fermenters uh of? two and a half three and a half and six and a half ton fermenters yeah. so um uh, wooden coves and some open top and actually got some concrete um coming but we can talk about that later but um yeah and and so i looked at it and and so many clones like you know clones that you can you can't even you don't know where to start and you know i i understand when people in burgundy they don't they probably talk ill about clones these days because of the problems they've had um and they've totally gone to muscle selection as the as the um the thing of quality i would argue we're not there yet but Craggy has actually just begun its Massar selection. And you do need to experiment to know where you're going to, where the future lies. And you talk about it, we are blip. Like in, I'm, I'm hoping in 150 years, they don't even know what clones we've got. And it's just called Craggy Massar. That would be yeah. the, that would be the win. But yeah, a lot of different clones on different elevations um, and all at about 5,200 vines per hectare. Um, the valley itself is quite windy. 
uh, the winds that come up from the Rimutakas and, and we kind of funnel in um, and a pretty decent frost zone as well. So um, yeah, fruit. Look, yeah, yeah. So so all those things kind of keep flowering um, as a pretty nerve wracking time as well. And I'm sure Larry talked to you about the you know the vintage variations. Just kind of a lot of it's just set from flowering time in terms of your crop load. Um, a lot of the time you come in and it's you know, there's definitely no bunch thinning to do. Um, but that also affects the physiology of the grape. I think we get really um, quite firm skins from it because mm. of the, 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 the wind around flowering and so a high level of natural tannin. And I, I, my argument would be it's a combination of the wind and the soil. I, I know with those gravels, you, you're probably going to get the vine working harder and, and produce that level of skin tannin. But yeah, definitely that's going to be that buffering effect against wind. Uh, for sure. It's yeah. just that, I mean, everybody talks about those spring winds yeah. and I've seen it firsthand of like... Yeah what happened this year? Like, oh, you missed it. Last week was flowering. And, uh, you know, it was, we were getting these Antarctic winds ripping through. Totally. And yeah. uh, all of a sudden they're like, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, and I think even in our normal years on the sites that I've been a part of, barely any crop thinning is, was needed. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, if anything, it's, some years you're like, where's the fruit? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that presents problems in itself, doesn't it? But but I, so, you know, coming with that level of tannin, um, tannin can be your friend, but it can also be your enemy if you look at it, like, what, you know, your ideal release date or where, where your um, your end wine is. And, and I so I see some wines from our early days when you probably don't have that depth of roots yet to, to kind of um, fill out with um, volume of, of flavor and you don't have that vascular tissue and I think they are quite firm and 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 then we've got some of the warmer vintages through the last kind of five to ten years and there's definitely a bit more velvet coming through um I look at it as um, my personal philosophy is that there are 45 different wines on that site and there's probably six different mindsets that I take to it regarding on the clone in that I don't want to have a craggy wine like I don't the the site even though it's one site it is different enough to to allow itself to a several different permeations and that's brilliant and that's just because of the clone and the difference in surf, um so you're ta- ultimately you're talking about two different wines three different three wines, okay yeah. so there's uh, the- araha um which is our top penoir tamuna um and then we have a third wine that predominantly just goes into on-premise and that's just Craigie Martin Range, Bro. Martin Brewer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, no, that's right. So, yeah. so with that wine with Martin Brewer, it's you know it's all about um, volume of fruit. You know, it's your it's your village wine that just has to really speak to Craigie and speak to um, Martin Brewer from a just tasting like Pinot Noir. Mm. Um, Tamuna, it's that level, next level of depth and and probably. Um, a ridiculous amount of um, beauty and enjoyment in it. And at Araha is where I can be polarizing yes or no but it definitely has to be where I can kind of start to push the discussion of New Zealand Pinot Noir and you know I, I again like drawing on my own experience um, I think with once we hit you know 15 to 20 year old vines it, it begs if it's the right soil type and climate for for a whole bunch of fermentation mm. and that's where I've started to push us a lot towards especially with the kind of 114 115 clones sure able as well um, and then using a bit more of those um you know those clone five that naturally like to give you volume for just um, for D stem. So, so I'm looking at it now as you know you've got this beautiful um, you know f- whole berry, f- and then we know we purchased more equipment this year to give us whole berry. Um, that whole berry velvet flow as your as your base layer, you know your your um, artist palette, and then to build these whole bunch wines on top for perfume structure and and complexity. Um, 
and and I see that in 1920, the two, two vintages I've been here for, I just see so much excitement that really makes me think that uh, Martin Bruce got another layer for us to peel back. And people, that sounds arrogant and controversial. No, I, I, but I don't yeah. think so. I, th- yeah. I think if you're um, smart and you're in Martinborough, you'd be excited by that statement. And, yeah. it, and you'd know it's true because not only is there fresh blood and new plantings and things, but yeah, there's vine age there, even for the, you know, historically great vineyards that are there, uh, and, and sites that are there that they would be excited to say, you know, our, literally our roots are getting deeper and things are changing. So, uh, no, again, good attitude. (laughs) I'm not going to knock that attitude. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, there's, there's that thing when people are selling wine that where's the, um, where's the uh, incentive for experimentation and, and mm. pushing the boat out? And, you know, I don't know if you've ever worked or had the experience of talking with, like, Jeremy from Dujac and, you know, his dad made great wine and then he's like, Dad, we need to really, you know, up the ante and we need to use a more de- um, whole bunch wines. It might have been the other way. His dad might have let his son. But, you know, like, the, the fact that they are now making these wines, which is synonymous and so enjoyed for their perfume and balance and it comes back to this whole cluster thing. I, I don't want to obsess on the whole cluster, but my point is more there's that because you've done it right is great and that now should be the baseline expectation and everything from here on should be amazing and that's what Mm. New Zealand has that potential to do where a lot of um, the other Pinawa regions uh, are going to really struggle into the future with the way that the climate's going so I think that uh, the best wines of Martin Brewer region haven't been made yet they they will be made by people that are willing to um, acknowledge the successes of the past but but know that um, there's now we're in a state where we know our sites for the first time or you know we're really familiar with the best sites to encourage a next level of um, of volume and excitement yeah yeah I don't think it's uh, again I think you know you're, there's your historic producers and your historic personalities you know you know we could take Helen Atarangi as one and Larry mm. at you know they're sort of along the ride and probably right in line with that but you know, the, you wouldn't be, uh, you know, beating anybody up or saying anything too terrible if you said, well, you know, even 10 years ago when I got to New Zealand, I was obsessed with Martinborough and I was surprised like, oh, well, this is just a, like some families live here and there's some, you know, some mm. boomer blocks and stuff, you know, yeah. some lifestyle blocks. And, yeah. and um, certainly those two people I just mentioned have had a hell of a time, you know, pushing the owners of some of those blocks and what we've probably seen and not only with craggy range but you know with the likes of palliser and foley family coming into Mar- you know into the the two wineries they own now uh and then some of the younger upstarts is like a, a lot of shakeup in martinborough mm. you know and maybe it's because um you know more money has come in and they recognize exactly what you're talking about that you know this is you know, it's got some vine age and there are, you know, traditional sites, but there's a lot more to be done here. Yeah. And, uh, is it big sky or somebody who, you know, I, I was kind of, I ran into one day and I said, you know, I was talking to Wilco about it actually at, at dry river, talk about historic sites. And I, I said, where, where does Martin bro sort of end, you know, because th- this one is 5k out of town and it's Martin. Well, they're like, well, now it's just, it's where that soil is, you know, mm-hmm. if it could, it, came in through that way so as long as it's deemed that and so again and we're so young here we're learning uh we haven't even touched the slopes yet yeah i know yeah and and that's yeah it's amazing but 
but it's also um you know that that emphasis has probably been on sites and winemaking style and i the world has really woken up to hey it's actually how you grow and what you grow and and these guys like claude bergignon and um uh you know pedro para who have like led this um revolution on hey let's focus on what's beneath the earth and then you know guys like um you know we're really fortunate to have john o'hamlet on our on our team from an organic background and we we talked to um, a guy tim brown in in australia who's a high density specialist with Pinot but there's just so much to know about the we be- don't know anything we don't know anything and, yeah. and even in burgundy they're figuring out like they've only figured out in the last 20 years that what they were doing was wrong i mean they had the right sites and they had the right density but you know they were using herbicide rampantly through the 80s and um what was that famous quote by claude bergignon there was more there's more life in the sahara than there was in burgundy you know <laughs> and and that's like where where um we are later than them figuring this out aren't we like mm. they figured that out because they had that um that community of guys who had generations and so they said hey dad you know wake up with the, the you know, their sons had gone and traveled the world and we we're, we're just coming to this realization it's definitely in new zealand there's a really strong emphasis in sustainability um you can't you can't fault that but it's more about the the quality of um you know deep diving on the emphasis on vine growing you know and, and yeah. looking at them as a plant as opposed to a block of plants yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and that's what we've been doing and um yeah we were even talking this year about you know some of the trials we're doing around palisage and things like that well we yeah you took again again don't don't beat yourself up but i'm so excited to get to the end of this next 10 years to see yeah, these yeah. trials and how they think yeah yeah no i think there's yeah. a combination of that but yeah. yeah going back to your point about the soils it's like I, I, I don't, you know, there's some old timers, there's some young guys who yeah. I have arguments with and everything. And I'm like, it's not some, you know, uh, hippy dippy space cadet thing. Just think about like, well, maybe all these things that have worked in the past actually had to do with the microbial and the success of the vines and the resilience of the vines, which obviously that's not a, you know, crazy statement to make. But um, I think we're just going to like the, you know, to tie in the sort of uh, organic or biodynamics, anything with just hard science. Yeah. I think we're, we're starting to bridge the gap with that. And there's a lot more people, um, uh, you know, starting to, to realize like, well, the thing actually about biodynamics, for instance, as you know, as you know, you talk about organics as well is, you know, it was a system or it is a system in place that actually benefits all these other things. And, it's a cool little system. It may not be the only way to achieve organics, but it's yeah. one way. And what it actually did was it just had all these other benefits to it to make the vine more resilient and then, you know, do it, do possibly what you wanted it to do. Yeah. And, and I think the sooner we can get over, you know, our bias in, in either direction, uh, the better we're all going to be. And it's funny how, as the science has started meeting some of this stuff, you know, they're fighting in Hawke's Bay and Martinborough. There's so many people, you know, I know Palliser's about to switch over to certified and, and 
Um, certification is its own thing, but just these techniques in there uh, are, you know, the science is meeting up with it, which is super exciting. Yeah. And I mean, we can't like, you know, people like Helen and that are way ahead of us, you know, and we use them as inspiration and the guys down in central and Nick Mills and, um, and Gareth and Blair at Felton and, and we're only just starting that journey. Um, but it's more, I think you said that you hit a nail there on the, on the hard science as well. Like Mm. we, Jono and I are really obsessed with the idea of, um, making better tasting wines like ultimately about the flavor and you know there's a really interesting thing like talking about root soil temperature and the effect of that and and looking at how do we get those roots deeper to a more stable temperature to to protect us against the the effects of climate change as well so i think that you you do need to step back and remove your remove if you are it may be in doubt just remove yourself from the um philosophical statements and start to look at at science and um yeah you don't have to be dogmatic about anything yeah and and i'm really excited about um we're like excited about all that kind of like you know even that like we've explored we're we're fortunate and you know that craggy from the outset has been really ahead of the curve in vine density you know and Mm. that that higher amount of vascular tissue per hectare um but what's not to say that even going closer will give us a, a better wine based on um what people have made around the world as well um, we might not be that in that position for another 10 years, but it's still, it's at something that's at the, the front um, of my mind as well. So, uh, and then, and then, you know, there's still things in the winery that, uh, you know, you go to these workshops and stuff and there's still people talking about, we're all talking about it, you know, some concepts that there's little hangups, isn't there? Like people talking about like, is it enzyme or whatever, but eventually we'll, we'll move into a more exciting discussion about, maybe we'll be describing soil types by their flavor basis, you know, as opposed to just being like that's gravel or whatever that, oh, that's a, that's a perfume soil or that's a, that's a aromatic soil. Um, that same thing. Sorry. That's a texture soil or whatever. And that's, that's really where we need to start to define our wines. I, I, yeah, I yeah. kind of agree. You're talking to a guy who makes wine, it just turned out this way from, you know, seven different appellations for exactly that reason. All right, I warned you we're going to be chopping it up a little bit. Um, we'll get back into it with Julian in a second. Um, really, really cool conversation having with him. Uh, was neat to sort of connect the dots back to Doug Weiser, um, get into some clonal geekdom, and, uh, you know, how much more there is to be done in Martinboro. It's exciting. And get into the organics thing a little bit. You know, I like to uh, dip my toe in that. Uh, in fact, just this past week, I met up with a legendary dude named Peter Backus at Hohipa here in Hawke's Bay, where we uh, were mostly talking about pasture management with dairy cows, but uh, really getting into biodynamic techniques and, and the chemistry behind it, which you know we sort of touched on uh, when I was talking with, with Julian about um, the science behind biodynamics and organics and our soils and things like that. And tying that all the way into why it makes our, why it makes the wines taste that way. Um, but there's some deep chemistry involved in there. I mean, that conversation I had on Sunday, which, you know, you think you're talking about biodynamics, it's going to be about the stars and the moon and all that, which there was a little bit of that, but really we were talking about, you know, calcium, uh, quartz, um, uh, you know, soils, things real, just practical things and, and at real base level things. Um, 
anyway, I could go on and on about that. Let's get back into it with Julian here. Um, we sort of uh, dipped out and we're talking more uh, about Hawks Bay there for a bit and nothing to do with Pino. So I just wanted to cut that out for now. Uh, but we do get back into Pino consumerism, which I think is a really interesting conversation and uh, what it's like around the world where New Zealand sits, uh, at least in our opinion, uh, and what we've seen as we traveled around. Uh, and something else that's really, really important is, is you know, as uh, New Zealand's sort of isolated at this time in the world, and not a lot of people are traveling into New Zealand, uh, will be quite special by the time they will be able to do it in 2022 for this conference that's coming up. And what that leaves to us as a responsibility as the hosts of this conference to show and get people to experience when they get here. I think, uh, you know, I feel that coming at some stage, whether it's, what is it, 18 months down the road. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk to Julian again. I. We, you have to, I think this is where you can, within your region, you can start to believe your own hype and that's why it's really important to, to canvas consumer opinion or to drink with your peers. And you know, I love swapping wines with guys overseas or drinking Do wine. Do it all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, well, um, sort of going back to the consumer thing and, you know, I try to put my consumer hat on as much as I can, yeah. uh, not just because I love drinking wine, but, you know, look at wines in that way particularly from other regions. And I, and like you said, come back to our region and be like, is this really working? Because I think it, you know, you can get the seller palette of course, but you can also get just hung up drinking all local wines. Yeah. And I have this conversation often with, uh, you know, close friends that I'm like, you know, yeah, that's a great wine, but in the, the world of wine, does it really matter? Yeah. Like, is somebody going to taste that and not think, well, yeah, that was good, but I could spend $20 less and get an awesome one that's, you know, and that's just like that or better yeah. from this other region. And, um, I mean, th there's enough consumer out there to, in, you know, that to say like, uh, you know, let's just say what it is. Say I make a Merlot Cabernet and it's a really well-made wine. There's enough of a domestic consumer that a little bit of that will consume, you know, buy that and pay some money for it, like your story, all that kind of stuff. But on any kind of larger level, export or you know a competitive market even like Auckland or Wellington you know you're going to put up other wines against that and go like yeah I'm just going to go with this Italian one that you know is is great as well like mm. what you know and, and I do that all the time and I say you know in the grand scheme of the wine world where does this sit and I still think you know our Syrah and then going back to Pinot Noir you know our, our Pinots are sort of next level yeah and, uh, and you know, whether you even drink Pinot, like my dad doesn't drink Pinot that much, but he tastes New Zealand Pinot and he was, he's been here a couple of times now and he's like, I get it. Like, yeah. he's like, I understand now, you know, after he's, he said, I always thought you made a good one, but now I understand like every, what everybody else is doing and, and I'm starting to come around to this thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you spend $80 on a, on a New Zealand Pinot, so say like, I don't know how many producers, let's just say there's 25 producers at $80, mm. uh, you're going to get a, a Pinot that is more, 
you know, intellectually involving, enjoyable and wow experience than probably anywhere in the world. Like, I mean, maybe some wines from Oregon, would argue, you could argue that, you know, that they're, but that you're looking at the way their wine prices. They're skyrocketing, man. Skyrocketing. So that is just such a, um, such a joyous aspect of the quality of New Zealand Pinot Noir that the world hasn't woken up to the, the quality of it. They'll come one yeah, day, you know, because come. when... When all, everywhere else they're drinking is too hot to go Pinot Noir or they're being, they can't afford it anymore, um, then they'll go, well, what's the next logical step? And someone in New York will drink, you know, and they might come across a Ripon or they might come across a, um, a Burn Cottage and they're just like, holy smokes, like yeah. we're, 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 on, we're on here and we'll be there, you know, and that's a, um, that's a hugely exciting prospect, you know, to think that we haven't even, and not that I want everyone to do it, but there should be $200 Pinot from New Zealand. Mm. They're, they're fundamentally, if you look at some of our vineyards and how we're going to make those wines, they, they might not be there yet, but in the future there'll be $200 Pinot from New Zealand. And people will talk about it in the context that there's probably only four countries in the world that are making good Pinot Noir, and how does that sit? And it's going to sit really well. Yeah. Mm. So what's the fourth? <laughs> no, I know it's I, Australia. Yeah, no, I mean, kidding. yeah, like I said, slight bias, but there, there is some really beautiful um, parts of uh, Macedon and Tasmania, and you know, even Yarra well, Valley Australia there. is huge, first of all. Yeah. So it's like, I uh, mean, the guys in Germany would argue there's some really beautiful Baden Pinots as well. So um, that yeah. reminds me of another question I was going to ask you. Being Australian is, you know, I had uh, I've been over selling wine in Australia, and yeah, generally. You know, Australia has been pretty, well, I don't know, provincial or national about their consumption of wine, mm-hmm. and as they should be, because they make so many great wines. And, um, you know, there's that, you know, Shiraz or uh, what do you call it? Uh, pushback to, to um, Yellowtail and all that kind of stuff. But then you go there and you're like, holy shit, where are all these wines at? Why yeah. can't I get these wines? And, uh, you know, I love a lot of Aussie Grenache, particularly, yep. I think it's like hot climate Pinot, you yeah, know, absolutely. And, uh, and I like a lot of the blends that they do with that and GSMs and stuff. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, exciting wines that like, if you put that in front of a, you know, a consumer, you go, yeah, this is great. And, yeah. you know, sort of fresher style that I think a lot of people my age, I think you're younger than me, but, and younger are really going towards, but the perception of New Zealand Pinot in Australia, mm. you know, I, you will know a lot more about this than I do, but I kind of thought a little bit of a pushback, but also a little bit like, oh, I got it going on over there. Um, would mm. you agree? Yeah, as in, like, um, so first and foremost, like, you've got two two cities in Melbourne and Sydney that are, are, are actually drive a lot of, they're big enough to be, significant population spaces and consume a lot of wines and that's what new zealand doesn't have you know like we don't we've got auckland but sydney's five times the size of auckland you know so um so that's a real benefit for the australian wine community and the the really amazing thing we notice being you know an hour outside of melbourne is that you've got this like almost um test pool for your wines right there on your doorstep that Mm. you get immediate feedback from because you know it goes on the pour and you know, right, we need to we need to push harder into that space. Um, I would say that when we were in New Australia and we were always looking at New Zealand wines, it was interesting. We used to, in Australia, because we have a shorter days after flowering, shorter growing season, we get a, um, a bit more aromatically derived wines. 
and probably less so palate-driven wines. And I'd say New Zealand was the inverse of that, how we we perceived the wines. And so we always thought that um, that there was a lot more structure. You're talking about Pinot specifically. Pinot yeah. specifically, yeah. Um, the, the thing is, in Australia, there is actually quite a hotbed of, um, of young talent. And that's a lot of that's based around the affordability of some grapes that have um, allowed guys like in the Basket Range in Adelaide Hills or, you know, you mentioned McLaren Vale as well, to actually start their own brands and generate a bit of hype. And in New Zealand, it's a bit harder. Like, mm. you know, affordability-wise... I mean, even Sauvignon's expensive these days, you know. So um, it's a bit harder for guys like yourself, um, you know, and that's why we need more people like you to actually be starting your brand because it generates more conversation. Um, and I really loved that in Australia, that it's really blossoming. And again, like you look at it happening out of Napa and it's hard for some of those guys to justify it with the fruit prices. Yeah, you know? well, they, they yeah. push out into the, you know, and then yeah, they Santa become... Yeah, Santa Barbara and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. and it becomes yeah. this like... Yeah anti-napa thing which is kind of cool because napa's not going anywhere and uh yeah. but you see these guys in these you know sebastopol and you know way up into alexander valley and stuff you know i had a buddy who was making pinot from up there and it was like this blows away anything from around these parts yeah. um and yeah it's, part of it is we're small and you know to develop uh but, and, but it's just we're young too so yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd say there'd be some affordable Merlot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> coming. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, we we I just found in Australia there was a really good um, desire um, universally to push the quality of Pinot Noir from a from a base that was quite moderate to mm. then getting high. And there's a lot of wines that over deliver really there, and and uh, that they don't generally. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm probably going to get assassinated when I go back home, but they generally don't have as ideal a climate as New Zealand for growing Pinot Noir. That's sure. just the... Would, I don't yeah. think that's too crazy of yeah. a statement. So, so we, we, you know, in New Zealand, we start slightly ahead. And, and so then it's just about um, making sure that we realize there's people everywhere are trying to make better wine. Yeah. 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 yeah well, I'm just thinking too that, uh, and it sort of relates to COVID as well, is that you know, I've noticed in the last couple of years, a couple more upstarts, younger producers in Martinborough and Hawke's Bay. Uh, it's tough. Don't mm. get me wrong, but I have noticed the intent there um, more than ever. And I got a pushback from a journalist in Auckland who was kind of an old timer who was saying, oh, that's the way it's always been. I'm like, nah, not like this. Like there's yeah. a good group of um, people who have done vintages around the world and come at it like having a more worldly view of even just branding let alone in picking different styles and things like that uh and you know i know of uh, three young girls who are running a vineyard up the road now because they know it's a great site and they're willing to sort of eat it for a year or two until they can turn it around and i think that's like super exciting i'm like i don't even know if i have the money for it but i'd i'll buy some fruit from you guys just because i think it's great and we need more of this going on yeah um but I, you know, I sense coming into next vintage, and, and I hope it lasts for a long time, that there's going to be a lot of this great young Kiwi talent that typically goes overseas and is, I mean, they, I know from working in California, they love the Kiwi winemakers, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they work hard, they, you know, have, you know, good palates, and they, and they know what they're doing, and they're, you know, they were sort of never were spoiled yeah. in any way, so they kind of had to earn it. So I hope we And they're not get... as hungover as Australians. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they go for a run in the morning, I guess. I don't yeah. know. But they, uh, it should be, I, I hope it's an exciting time ahead yeah. because there's going to be a lot of 
people yeah. just staying home this year. You know? Absolutely. And like I look at my my role in this kind of grand scheme of things is that, you know, I need to provide an environment that when people come through Craggy Range, they've, um, they've experienced some form of... Um, challenging their mindset for what is what is baseline quality and then also what is achievable from an experimental point of view Mm. and and i look at those great wineries of the world where you know they've got that spider web of how many people have all worked at that one winery you know like i'm i'm guessing if you took how many people have done vintage at rouleau and where they are now like they'd be amazing people you know like and so we i want that is what has to spawn from us and you know i'm lucky enough to have a guy like warren gibson there to to kind of um to bounce a lot of ideas off but you know last year or the year before last as in particular when i had a bunch of uh guys over from california and oregon doing vintage with us and they and some guys from um shadow nerf as well and they were like well that's not what you do and i'm like that's not what you think you do you know like that's 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 fine that's where you've been yeah. working but you know let's taste the wine at the end i'll send you the wine in two years and we can we can talk about you know how you were wrong no I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. like, but about how like you know that there, there needs to be that challenge of mindset and um and we are big enough and have enough land to to encourage that absolutely and not you know not be the like that corporate model where they're like oh you get half a ton to do an experiment this year that's bullshit yeah, yeah. that's bullshit it's about yeah. making um it's about making meaningful change yeah mm. yeah because yeah, you guys have that sort of program too where they get to travel through the country i mean yeah, that, the, that's yeah. huge that's like you know and i've talked to you know again there's that web because i've talked to so many people over the years i mean you just bump in oh you did that and you got to go through you worked at craig and you got to go all the way down to otago and yeah you guys have that family of 12 thing where you get to hook up and and yep. see these great things it's so important when people and i think it will become even more important because nobody's gonna be able to get into new zealand yeah, for, yeah, for a year yeah or two yeah. so that if we do bring in some talent from overseas uh that's a real special experience and i think some other wineries are doing a little bit of version of that is like you know calling somebody up and you know, if they're in Martinborough, go up to the Bay, come to, you know, go to yep. Marlboro, catch some friends. It's really important for people to get that, that full breadth of experience when they're here. Cause it is once in a lifetime for these, Absolutely. for these guys. We, you yeah. know, we take it for granted cause we're here now, but yeah. And we need good. to suck them dry too. We need to, yeah. we need to actually get what's in their minds. You know, the guys who are, who are doing the vintages at the, in these high end places in Bordeaux or Burgundy or, or Napa and look I might not want to make wine like them but I'm guessing they've seen something that I could yeah totally the, the best winemakers yeah. I've worked with yeah. like Jason Aperitua and Jenny and stuff yeah. they're always pulling like you taste this tell me what you think yeah. you know I want to know what this palette from northern hemisphere somewhere thinks yeah. and mix it up with them and and uh no that's good mm. well we just knocked out an hour mate so, awesome uh, yeah. I think I think we'll leave it there too easy and uh yeah. You put in a good word with Jono for me, and we'll have to sit down and chat with him maybe sometime he'd be, soon. He loves to, yeah. Yeah, he. I think we were talking about it at one point, but uh, he sort of under understated that guy. So you know, I got to push him a little bit. Nah, he'll talk. He'll, yeah. he'll definitely. No, talk. I don't mean yeah. push him in the interview. Just get him to do it. Oh yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, yeah. He, yeah, well, he's doing a bit busy at the moment, but yeah, right. just getting staff. We'll stuff. get him. We'll get him right after harvest and yeah. like, right before <laughs> yeah. he wants to go take a holiday. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Thanks. Awesome.
thank you. It's Julian Grounds, winemaker at Craggy Range. Great longer conversation I have with him. Like I said, maybe we'll release the whole thing someday. Uh, right now, we are talking about Pinot, and uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit now and talk to uh, Huey Tibble. Huey is a vineyard manager and worker at Atarangi, somebody I met uh, met a few times when I'm over there. Uh, I'd spoken to her once over winter, and uh, I think I lost the file, <laughs> to be honest. I had a computer crash and almost a complete nightmare, uh, but I actually didn't dig very deep. Uh, I did get most of the files back. I didn't dig very deep for hers because I was really just getting to know her, and, uh, and as we say in the beginning of the interview, it was like raining so hard on the vineyard, the sound quality wasn't that great. And as it turned out, when I went back to talk to her again, it was a gorgeous spring day. The birds are chirping, and uh, we were both uh, maybe in a better place to discuss things. Just a quick chat, about 10 minutes uh, to get to know her. And we are really trying to get to know more of the people behind the wines. And uh, I just thought she's a great personality and somebody who's just uh, sweet. So if you uh, just have a listen, have a listen and get, get a little hooia, you know. Last time it was in the cold winery. It was, and it was cold. And it, and it was a little <laughs> rainy, cold morning. It was. Now we can hear the birds around us. It's beautiful, beautiful day. I feel like I wanted to get you on an outdoor day anyway. <laughs> um, but no, that was good. We got, I got to hear a little bit about your um, your background and growing up on a farm. Yeah. Multiple. Yeah. Multiple regions. That's right. Didn't you do? You did some time down in Nelson. I or did. So? Yeah. I see, did. I remember some. It wasn't yeah. that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> um, but I think it's actually good to catch you, sort of this time of year when it's all coming alive yeah. in the vineyard, isn't it? Is, it? And it really is coming alive at the moment. Yeah. So what have you been up to today? Oh, today I've just been uh, trying to make the compost tea work. Uh-huh. Um, I'm having a bit of trouble with the tank. but uh, <laughs> And then I have been out just checking on the vines in our Dimatina block this afternoon. Is that uh, Pinot, Dimatina? Yes. yes. It, well, it, it's got Pinot, Merlot, and a few rows of Malbec. So it's a... Oh, Malbec. Nice, One of my nice favorites. <laughs> it is. I make three different Malbecs. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... What, I'm not. I, I don't remember how much we touched on it before, but I thought it would be better, you know, this time of year to also talk about um, that concept of um, Toronga Waiwai and right. you know, as things are coming alive, to to see, you know, you're we're starting a new season and all that, and uh, uh, yeah, what you're feeling like th- today, you know. Excited, excited. It's always uh, an exciting slightly nervous time with uh, frost and yes. wind and um, all things that are our friends but uh, also have to be watched very carefully um, so no uh, it's an exciting time time of the season when everything is starting to come forth and and you're um i can imagine there's some nice long sort of wee hours in the morning getting up in the morning in the vines yeah yeah, I, I'm fortunate and uh, haven't had to do any frost uh, protection. I live a bit far away for that. So. Yeah, 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 that's <laughs> so right. So that's pretty great uh, for me, not, not so much for uh, Brayden. But um, no, so I have been starting at the leisurely hour of 7.30. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and it's 
it's really pleasant, really pleasant. You're um, so how far of a commute is it? Uh, about thirty-five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it takes me about thirty-five minutes. So you get a pretty good grasp of the region, I would say, more than just your people that live just in Martinborough here. Poss- possibly, um, possibly. I, uh, I creature of habit and I tend to come the back roads to work so that I have that 35 minutes it's probably quicker if I come uh, uh, on the more, more major, major routes but um, I come the back way and it's, it's beautiful and all the lambs are out at the moment and <laughs> it's a great way to uh, uh, get into workspace yeah, and yeah. a great way to decompress on the way home as well so you know you driving through the country seeing all the blossoms popping and the lambs arriving and <laughs> it's just yeah yeah because i think you know we're trying to give people an idea of um not only martinborough and winemaking and all that but just uh of the region itself and what it's like to live here and sort of be a part of this place um you know again talking about the concept of guardianship of the land and all that and feeling real part of the the Fanonga Tonga, the part of the, right. you know, the community and all that. And um, I think that's sort of a different way to, I don't know, to look at it, to come at it is um, driving into town every day and some of those foggy mornings and things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. and we do have some really foggy mornings where um, when I leave home, uh, we have a stream at our place and so the fog comes in with the stream mm. and then I come across over the Rumahunga River just past where we live and so the fog's all down down in the um comes right down so uh some days you may only see a meter in front of you yeah yeah <laughs> um, and then you rise up coming over Miller's Road and you sort of sit above it and then drop back down into it um feels a you know almost picturesque Pinot country sort of you think you very know, picturesque yeah picturesque. yeah you feel like uh that fog is uh you know those misty mornings and everything makes you feel like you're very you're uh you're coming into Pinot country you know what I mean? <laughs> it's quite a kind of a magical I always find the fog kind of magical you know you yeah absolutely drop down into it and then then you come out of it into the <laughs> into into the vines really because um by the time I get here it's normally sort of lifted from from this area and um so it's just like <laughs> it's like the world opens up it's it's wonderful yeah, yeah. cool um and uh so yeah this time of year you are just cranking away getting uh, all exciting everything's blossoming it's all happening and then uh, very much so and it's it's quite a uh, cruisy time um just before everything like it's, it's that period where you have uh you've been busy busy pruning 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 and then you have this sort of respite before it's all go again hmm. um we can catch up on all those uh boring jobs but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> make sure all the equipment works and all exactly. that exactly but exactly. uh you know you mentioned uh was a compost, compost tea, tea yes. yeah so obviously um you know atarangi is uh pretty serious about um you know doing their you know sort of helping lead the way into organic production and um uh it must be pretty nice to know that you know, you're working with things that it's aren't wonderful. poison <laughs> it's it's wonderful and 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 it's a really fascinating fascinating once once you start to look into it um i also get to do fun things like go to the beach yeah 
pick out <laughs> seaweed. Paid, yeah. you know, <laughs> to get seaweed um, for the compost tea, I collect seawater. Uh, so I was out um, at the coast on Monday this week and uh, it was absolutely stunning. The wind was blowing like crazy here and I got out the coast. I went out to, towards Nawi and it was just beautiful. A big rollers rolling in, but so, so I did get wet, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but calm, like, you know, um, further out to sea, very calm. It was beautiful. And you, you said there's a bit of discovery with that. Are you, you know, how long, so you've been here a while. I have you, been you, here yeah, a yeah. while. And you've watched, um, I, say, I guess, Atanangi move more into that organic space and, um, you know, move away from uh, conventional, certain, conven yeah. conventional, conventional, which is a weird <laughs> word to use, but uh, for that, that style of uh, vineyard management, but uh, into organics. And uh, it's been eye-opening for you in that It way? has been. It has been my... Uh, before, I used to think of organics as kind of messy, mm. happy, smelly kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and in reality, it's not. It's really exciting. Um, uh, yes, you know, you do have more, more weeds than possibly other vineyards. But um, now when I see those beautifully manicured, uh, weed-sprayed vineyards, I... I... I, uh, I feel... I feel sad that... Uh, that uh, I, I almost feel like they'd be newt. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Although, I mean, I think everybody's getting there in, in due time, and it takes people a little bit of courage well, to make that step. It, it you know? And it's a big step. It mm. is a big step. I completely understand that. But um, having having come here and learning more and more about organics all the time, it's, it's really exciting. I like, um, I like bugs and insects and yeah. things like that. And so... They're around more now. <laughs> yeah, well, they are, and, and I find them quite fascinating. I like the, the flowers that we grow specifically for a specific insect, and you know, to attract those beneficial insects. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. A really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and when did that all start to turn? When you, uh, five years ago, kind of? Uh, no, no. Um, I'm not sure of the exact time when they first started, but since I've been here and they've acquired more blocks that were conventional and that we've been turning so seeing seeing the difference in the soil the smell the smell of the soil is mm. something that I um, have really noticed uh, yeah it, it's quite a different different smell once it starts to go into organic um, just it's oh it's rich it's not a not a bad smell mm. you know often often dirt can smell sort of quite ugh. Mm. but no, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, don't know yeah. how to explain no, it. No, no, that's I'm cool. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Very weird. I'm talking about dirt. Because they have, yeah, <laughs> I, I know they messed around with like, don't they have like glass under the vines or, or, oh, or yes, that little the, block? Oh, yes, in the Italian block. <laughs> yeah. um, that, was, that was all about sort of um, finding a use for the glass mm. because at that stage there wasn't a whole lot happening in the recycling. I mean, you could take it, but nobody could really tell you what they were doing yes. with it. Or, <laughs> um, so... Yeah, that's where the glass came from. Was was a way to recycle yeah. our bottles. Um, so they've always been trying to push the envelope a little bit. Oh, but definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, it's good to hear. Uh, it's making a profound impact on you. You know. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I didn't know you before, but I can certainly attest that you're smiling widely every right. time I've met you, which is great. <laughs> and I think there's um, something to be said about. Uh, we went to the Organic and Biodynamic Conference last year, yeah. and um, 
it's every picture, everybody working in the vineyard was smiling and happy and laughing and everything. And uh, you don't always see that, you know? No, um, you don't. You don't. And so, uh, um, but then again, who knows? Maybe you just always had that great smile. <laughs> but you seem quite happy now, which is great. And I'm sure that's why. <laughs> why we're talking now so thanks for doing this again oh, no and uh, I think uh, yeah it's not again nice to sit out yeah, in the it's partly it's beautiful cloudy day. beautiful windy breezy sunny day in Martinboro yeah. you know here With we go singing bring on 2021 <laughs> and then Pinot oh, yeah. 2022 <laughs> thanks okay that was great I love who we she's cool um, just good to catch up. Like I said, talk to different people, see what's going on behind the scenes. Um, uh, and next up, we're going to talk to Guy McMaster. Now, uh, this is important for two reasons. One, I used to make Pinot with Guy, uh, years ago, 13, 14, 15. And, but more importantly, Guy is now sort of, uh, running a lot of different things at Palliser Estate. And, Palliser is really important to my history. How I ended up in uh, in New Zealand was because uh, one of the first Martinborough Pinot Noirs I ever tasted was from Palliser Estate, and absolutely was floored me. That was Palliser Dry River, and I believe Martinborough Vineyards were uh, amongst the first few that I tasted. And I was like, "What is this stuff?" Just became obsessed with it. As it turns out, uh, I got to meet guy when he was at Erlar, uh, which is where Janine Rickards is now. Uh, and um, now he ended up at Palliser and he's converting things uh, to a, a lot of blocks to organic and we just have a quick catch up. And uh, I just, I think I wanted to drive home more the point of some of these, I mean, Palliser is kind of a bigger player in Martinborough and to see them a sort of traditional uh you know, they weren't in that first few wineries that Larry McKenna mentioned, which I think was Atarangi, Martinborough Vineyards, and Dry River uh, back in the day. But they were definitely in that second wave. They're well established. They have large holdings. Uh, they have a board. You know, they're they're not just like a tiny little family-owned vineyard. Uh, and to see them uh, making the move um, to do. Uh, in, into certified organics and to do, you, you just get a sense of what's happening in New Zealand uh, with regards to that. And it, it isn't just, uh, you know, their financial decisions they're making that, you know, of course we know what it does for the earth, what it does for the people that work there, sustainability, all these things. Uh, but there has to be uh, a financial reason why to do this too for a company that has a board and they have to say, well, hey, you know, what, what's going to happen to our investment? What's going to happen to this company? What's the long-term thing? And clearly the focus there is on quality and a long-term plan to keep Palliser State as uh, Palliser State as, you know, one of the, the top Pinot producers in the world. Guy and I start the conversation talking about Christchurch, the place where he was born. The best, the best. Hey, it's going to be the uh, the host of Pinot 2022 if the world ever gets around to it. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course it is, isn't it? Down yeah. That'll be great. Be awesome. So just make sure you're up in there-ish. You know, right. A little bit closer. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, otherwise I'm just going to be doing this podcast for the next three or four years. <laughs> just keep rolling it on. Just keep going. Well, at, the, at the rate I'm going now, it could be, it could take that long. I'm, I'm only finished this region. You're probably the last interview in the region. And one of the things I wanted to uh, talk to you about, um, well, I had I wanted to talk to somebody else in the vineyard in Wairarapa, and the, uh, you know, one of the pillars we talked about is the Kai Tiaki Tanga. Uh, which is that, um, you know, and the Fanonga Tonga and, and the uh, Turonga Waiwai and the all, but the guardianship of the land um, is a big thing. We probably haven't, we've sort of touched on a lot of the community stuff too. And, uh, and of course, terroirs were what we call um, uh, Turonga Waiwai. But, you know, the, it stood out to me. I think it just crept up on me about Palliser that, I mean, I'm, I shouldn't be surprised having known you now for almost, what, eight years or something that, you know, you have passion for organics and, and uh, they obviously brought you on board. How long have you been at Palliser now? Uh, six years now. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden it seemed like, yeah, you guys are going to be fully certified soon, right? Yeah, well, we've got 25% uh, now fully certified organic and the aim is to have 100% by 2025. I mean, that's great. Yeah, yeah, so that's the goal. Um, yeah, and to me, organics is all about life in the soil, and I think to truly reflect site um, uh, and also season, uh, organics, you know, to give integrity to that to that statement, you need to be organic. Yeah. Because um, that, that uh, gives a vine a chance to be in balance uh, w- with the microbial life in your soil, and when you get balance in your vines, you get balance in your wines, and it tends to allow you to do very little in the winery apart from just let the wine make itself. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, is is kind of one of the great visions in life, I think, is to truly reflect your site. Yeah, I think wine's uh, unique in that way, is that it can sort of capture not only a season, but a s- actual little site and a little place in the world. And, you know, I would guess organics gives us a better shot to... Uh, sort of capture all that in one little bottle you know yeah i think so and also i mean the big difference because we both currently do have conventional and also organic but the what we're finding with the organic wines they just have a sort of earthiness to them um and a kind of minerality and earthiness a kind of iodine character which we think is coming from the soil yeah sure Uh, so it's really exciting really exciting yeah the uh it's funny you say iodine we talk about that a little bit in the bridge path triangle up in hawks bay with that even formica crushed ant maybe you're getting some crushed ant in your <laughs> i'll take anything <laughs> yeah, take yeah. they're yeah. all good for your tasting sheets yeah you know yeah I mean? absolutely but we've just noticed it's come through quite strongly in this vineyard which has um you know sort of uh it's split over two levels and up on this top terrace there's a little bit more clay coming into the soil uh, tell uh, us what vineyard we're on again we're on the forikaha vineyard okay which is about midway up the terrace river gravels are about 20 meters deep here um, and it goes over two levels the bottom terrace uh, which goes out to the edge of the terrace uh, facing onto the Hungarua river uh, that's a lot more stony it ripens a little bit earlier so we tend to pick that terrace uh, before we pick this top terrace but we tend to find off this top terrace with that little bit of clay content you tend to get this real earthiness mm. uh, coming through in the wines and uh, yeah very, and, very and you think yes yeah, in the more recent years you're able to see uh, that even more so? I think so. That's certainly our feel of it. It, it, um, 
Uh, yeah, they're obviously all natural ferments, and, and the ferments just seem to run beautifully. We're not into extracting too much, so they're pretty much left alone. Um, but there's just this lovely sort of texture and earthiness coming through the mid-palate. Uh, and certainly that's become more and more evident uh, since we've gone down the organic path. Well, you know, I think what's really cool is, from a personal experience, Palliser is one of the wines that made me move to New Zealand, believe it or not. I don't know if you know that, but uh, no, years, years and years ago, I tasted some Palliser in Philadelphia, and I found, you know, it was hard to find. I, I don't even know if it was distributed in Pennsylvania, so I was probably breaking some state law <laughs> by showing it at a tasting there a couple times, but I probably went over some state border to grab some bottles of it, and um, uh, so obviously one of the pioneers of the region and one of the quality producers and i'm not saying they could have rested on the laurels but they certainly could have coasted and not made this decision um so uh i sort of commend uh you and them for taking on that challenge and i i hope more people see it on a you know because palliser's got how many hectares planted right now uh 74 hectares planted but i think the uh, the real key behind the, the whole of the wairapa um it, we're an open valley to the south so all, all our cold weather comes from the antarctic and it kind of sweeps up the south island uh, gets hemmed in by the Southern Alps and it hits Kaikoura Ranges that protect Marlborough and it bounces up into us so it upsets our flowering so we're an incredibly low yielding region uh, in, in, in you know, contrast to Marlborough and also central Otago and so therefore we need to be really at the top end of the market in sure. terms of quality um, and so that's the driver uh, you know one of the drivers you know with this low yielding area it, it's absolutely so suited to organics because we get strong winds after our cold weather they really devigorate the canopy um, so the disease pressure you know is is mitigated to a large extent uh, by our climatic factors so it's an absolute no-brainer to grow organically because it's such an easy region to do that in. Well I hope everybody thinks that way. (laughs) Yeah well it's it's a matter of convincing them all. Uh, Yeah but like I said I think it's important for a big player uh, or you know probably on the grand scale of the wine world a medium to small player but you know certainly in the region uh, a well-known name and a a big player uh, to take that step and do it right and, and be putting out some great wines uh will sort of force the hand of many others which which i'm a big part of uh doing as well so you know. yeah yeah I, I think it's exciting i think you know the the winemaking is just the evolution within new zealand of winemaking i think i think uh you're given time organics will actually become the norm uh that's my that's my dream for new zealand that organics will actually become the norm and biodynamics will be then the the step over and above that where people who want to move in that in that direction um and i think for you know new zealand producing quality food throughout the world that's what we'll be known as as one of the world's great organic producers yeah i think i think we're not going to have a choice in that matter we're going to have to go that way yeah are you guys using any biodynamic uh, techniques? Or are you going that way, trialing anything in certain vineyards? Yeah, well, we, we go down to the close, uh, down to the coast. You know, after big southerly storms through the Cook Strait, it's a very rough patch of sea, and it tends to rip the seaweed off the off the rocks and deposits up on the foreshore. Um, we go down there, and, and uh, we from the local tribe, we get uh, permission to collect the the seaweed, which we bring back. We hang it out over the wires. 
in the vineyard we dry it out then we chip it up uh, and we put it into big tubs and we ferment it for about two months uh, and we just steep it um, and we add two uh, we add preparation 500 uh, which we buy in from to the, the ferment to the ferment cool. which we buy in from the uh, biodynamic association we don't make any on site currently um, and then we just plunge that every day until uh, all the seaweed sinks to the bottom and then we spray it out over our vines every two weeks uh, it's like a, a foliar seaweed spray yeah, yeah. foliar seaweed spray cool. and it's amazing for two reasons it, it links um, uh, the vineyard back to the coast mm. um, uh, Pallisa is named after Pallisa Bay, which is down on uh, down on the coast, uh, and it's a great team building exercise for the whole of the vineyard crew to go down there, forage for the seaweed, bring it back, and turn it into something that we then reapply to the uh, to the vineyards. Do you have a picture with you and the seaweed? I want, that's going to be the picture I post. At yeah, 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 yeah. We do. We have. Right, a, cool. we, yeah, we have lots of pictures of us collecting it. So it's a wonderful thing, and yeah, and it uh, awesome. yeah, and it is great. Uh, and after you've sprayed it out, you walk in here, and it's like sort of at the sea it's yeah you get that little that little, little whiff of the salt yeah, air it's nice. great fantastic yeah because it is i've always uh been curious about that because it's so much about the ferment too isn't it you know and, and how what you're going to extract and how much you're going to extract and what nutrients are going to sort of stick their head out i suppose yeah and it's i mean we've never analyzed the, the resulting uh juice that we end up getting off it but um you know seaweed is full of so many minerals uh, and so obviously they're leaching out um, and it certainly after we've applied it you come into the vineyard two days later and there's real gloss a real deep sort of gloss to the leaves so they're obviously picking something out of it they like um, yeah I did uh, a research paper on this actually years ago and uh, one of the things and I, of course I wasn't the only one to do research on this but one of the things the research that I was studying showed was that it actually extended the rackets on the berries a little bit so that they had a little more air that would get through the bunches right Fantastic. and uh and you know a little less disease pressure along with you know they i didn't have all this equipment i was like an, you know an eit undergrad student but they basically had you know little things that could squeeze the berries and figure out how stretchable the skins were and right. stuff and it was like all these millions of factors uh that that was resulting in these these foliar seaweed sprays a lot of them coming out of uh canada you know north yeah you know really rich stuff out of there you know yeah i know i think it's i mean well i mean new zealand's just surrounded by it you know with two islands sitting in the middle of the ocean it's just a no-brainer gotta use them gotta use it yeah Yeah. and it's there on the shore it's a free resource and uh yes a lot of fun cool well uh, i'm not gonna hold you too much from uh getting back to work and uh, I'm just going to use your, your quote judiciously here. <laughs> and uh, thanks for doing it. And, uh, man, have a happy 2021 vintage, man. I can't believe we're saying that already. I know. It's amazing. But when you look at the vines and you see those sort of two bunches of shoot, yeah, you always you already get that feeling of excitement. Reality starts setting in now. Yeah. I know. It's all going off here. And yeah. uh, spring just all of a sudden, that's what it does to you. Um, and I will say, I think you're my second interview in the, in the vineyard. So this is, uh, it's good to hear the birds in the background. I'm sure it'll all come across on the recording and make you sound super cool, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, with a man like you, you decide me that's just a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> all right, man. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, excellent. Hey, thanks, Dan. That's great. Well, there you have it. We are done, Water Rapa. Uh, I hope we gave you a, you know, comprehensive uh I don't know how comprehensive it was, but I hope we give you, uh, you know, just a look inside of a lot of different personalities and people behind it and concepts that were uh, 
we're um, you know we're trying to drive home ahead of this conference uh, those those pillars that we discussed with Fanonga Tonga Kaitakiatani did I say that right? See, I got to work on my pronunciation. Kaitiakitanga and um, of course Turonga Waiwai. Uh, just to remember what those are, Kaitiakitanga is the guardianship of the land. Fanonga you know, relating to Fanao, Fanonga Tonga community community support. And then of course, Toronga YY, which we, we, um, we use a lot in the wine industry as New Zealand's own version of terroir. It means, you know, how the land affects me and, uh, you know, where a place I stand is the big, the big phrase that we use for that. So I hope you can get a, a sense of that from all the people we talk to and, 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 you know, even just uh, my thoughts on things and everything for what that's worth. Uh, next up, hopefully, I think, is going to be Otago. Uh, I'm probably going to do some interviews with some other people. I'm going on a little little jaunt around the North Island. I might get some of those other regions, other people that produce Pinot Noir. Uh, get some clips from uh, maybe Michael Brakovich up in the Auckland region and James Milton in the Gisborne region. And of course, I'm always in Hawke's Bay, and there's a couple of people making some some great Pinot around here as well. So, yeah. Until then, uh, happy New Year! I can't believe it. We're at the end of November now. Uh, it just seems like, man, would be good to. Outside of the great vintage 2020, was <laughs> it's been a crazy year, man. So, I uh, hope everybody's safe, doing well. Uh, gonna enjoy a good Christmas and holiday season and New Year's and and on to 2021 where we can get things back on track and, um, you know, continue to help each other and, and do the right thing, man, do the right thing. And with that in mind, I want to thank, uh, the Pinot Noir 2022 board, particularly Aaron and Helen who helped me do this, um, or, you know, is trying to help make this thing happen and will continue to help make this happen. Willie Devine for the great joiner music and intro music and everything, and a special shout out to Danny Black back in America who uh, has helped edit these down or really just make them sound good. He's helped master these tracks so that uh, when you guys listen to them on all their little podcast apps that they, they sound good and loud enough and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he has a new album out that is just killer. If I can't do a plug for one of my boys, it's called Black Rhino. Uh you know, if you're into, I don't want to compare it to a bunch of different bands, but uh, it's certainly the kind of music I like to listen to, very song-driven, song songwriter-driven. He's a, you know, wizard on the guitar. He's got great vocals. There's guest spots from some different musicians. And uh, Danny Black, he's hot. Check it out. Um, and, uh, of course, thank you guys for listening. Uh, like I said, do the right thing, man. Spike, Spike Lee said it best back in the day ahead of his time. Do the right thing. Take care of each other. Talk to you guys soon.